So my first year at youth camp was in the sixth grade when I was 12 years old. And the first night I went to sleep on the top bunk of one of the bunk beds and had woken up the next morning on the bottom bunk, which is where my counselor was sleeping. And he was on my bed. We had switched. And I was totally confused. I had no idea what had happened. And it turns out, according to him, in the middle of the night, I had fallen off the top bunk all the way down, hit the cement floor. These are cement floors. Uh, and somehow the mattress from the top bunk had fallen off and landed on top of me. And the noise woke my counselor up. Uh, he began freaking out, shaking my shoulder, whispering to me. Uh, and I wasn't responding. I was out. And he was really scared that I had been knocked unconscious or, or worse, who knows. Uh, and it turns out that he quickly realized that I was still asleep. I had done all of that and had not even woken up at all. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to season six of Unlearning Youth Group. We're the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and try to figure out where the heck do we go from here. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined by the one and only Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. Doesn't this feel like that first day back to school in the fall? You know, you've been gone for a little bit. It's been a little bit of a break, but like you're happy to see everybody and ready to go. Like this is how I feel. Like everybody listening in. Like we're we're back, baby. Ready to go. I feel like it's that, but if we just spent a really hard summer school together, going <laughs> through things that were like super difficult, and now it's like, oh, we get to go back to the stuff that we really enjoy doing. Okay, okay. So that, that's me. But hey, there are a couple things I learned from last season that I want to get into before we hit today's topic. And for those of you who hate banter before a podcast episode, uh, forgive us. We're in season six. We've earned this right after what we just went through. Anyways, here's the first thing I learned. I learned this from the last episode of last season. Okay. More people listen to us in the shower than I realized. <laughs> I'm still getting my head wrapped around the idea of Seems normal, right? Like you listen, you li I listen to podcasts in the shower. I don't see why not. I I listen to them, but I never thought about naked soapy people listening to me talk about stuff. And so go. that part is just a bit weird to me. But hey, fun mental image. If you're all naked and soapy right now, thanks for joining us today. Wash your butt. <laughs> Second, most people don't listen to the end of the episode after we start the whole rate us, review us thing. But those that do absolutely love your random show ending. Like the, the most texts and messages I get on Instagram are about Eric doing something stupid at the end of an episode. You know what? I think uh, that's probably going to be like, that's the summary of my life is that most people like Eric doing something stupid. So that's, that's been my entire life. So you're welcome for all of you. It's just the unhinged things that happen in my brain that Jonathan goes, we can't talk about that in the, in the show. If you do stop when we do the whole Raiders review thing, uh, last season, you included rants about George Washington. You uh -huh. missed out on Hulk Hogan's music. 
Yeah. Uh, Eric went on a rant about Mormons baptizing dead people. And uh, he yeah, sang I'm the coming, Captain Planet yeah. theme song. I did. So it doesn't happen every episode, but when it does, you're in for a treat. By that point, I'm like warmed up, ready to go. So, you know, I'm ready for, for podcast number two. I kind of, I think we need like a, you know how Walking Dead had the Talking Dead. We need like an after show show and just, you know, talk about the episodes. That'd be great. Talk about the episodes that we just got finished recording. <laughs> Doing it ourselves. So yeah, a podcast right. about our podcast. That, yeah, that's talk about narcissism. Here's the most important thing that I think when I look back at last season. Good Lord, I'm glad to not be talking about politics today. I'm so glad we're not doing that. I think that's why, you know, God gives different strengths to different people. Me, I, I love it. I love talking about controversial topics and getting into it with people. But I understand, you know, we always we need a break. That way you're just not the uh, the angry guy all the time talking about dumb things. Honestly, that's why I have to take breaks from like Twitter and even LinkedIn. Because it's like if I see too much of that, like I start seeing red and it just consumes me. But, but no, I don't have a problem talking yeah. about controversial It was topics, good for so. eight weeks. Yeah. It was good for eight weeks, but I, I'm ready to get back to what we do more of, what we started this show about. Yeah. Let's get back to talking about something that's absolutely not controversial and that will not raise any sort of like, <laughs> you know, disagreement with people. So, Jonathan, I mean, I'm good doing controversial. Notes. Let's do church controversial, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I haven't even looked at the notes. What's the topic for today? Today's topic is. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Most oh, of us well. were taught this idea by people growing up. Uh, most of us have probably said it. I have said it. Eric, mm -hmm. I think you have probably said it at one point or oh, another. Yeah. Um, yep. But was it biblical? Did it have bad results? That's what we're going to talk about today. It's the idea that we're supposed to love everybody, even if they're a sinner, but we're supposed to hate the sin that they committed. Yeah, and I think that this is one of those sayings in Christian culture that just becomes like an automatic programmed response uh, for a lot of people where you don't think about the ramifications of what you're actually saying. So I'm glad we're getting a chance to talk about it. And so for those of you, and this is usually what happens, whether it's on TikTok, social media, whatever, when we put some of these things out here that feel like they're, you know, they're just innocent. Oh, love the sinner, hate the sin. I've said that for my entire life. As a listener, you might be getting triggered right now as we talk about it and go, well, I've, there's no problem with me saying that because I do. I love the sinner and I'm called to hate sin. There's no problem with that. And I'm just going to ask, like, take a deep breath, back up, know that nothing that we say is attacking anybody. Because again, I've admitted, Jonathan's admitted, we've said it. We've said it before. But like, once you take a step back to sit and think, okay, what are the ramifications of this? What am I actually saying here, you know? Should I be saying it or not? It's a lot like, you know, saying daddy God in a prayer or, <laughs> or anything else like that. It's like when you actually stop and think about what you're saying, maybe that should change how you use it going forward. Well, and the things that we say and repeat tend to influence how we view our life. Yeah. And we pick up these sayings that we hear our parents say, or we hear church leaders say, and we just assume them to be true. We don't, yep. we don't say like, where'd that come from? Or yeah, we, 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 we don't look at things, like, could that be causing issues? And I remember hearing something similar from, you know, embattled pastor and speaker, Matt Chandler, 
saying that when you repeat things like this, or even the sinner's prayer over and over again, without considering what they mean, they become incantations. You know, they're more along those lines because they lose their actual meaning and value. And it's like, oh, when you think about it that way, and it's like, hey, how you doing today, Jonathan? Oh, too blessed to be stressed. You know, like, and you just <laughs> throw back some of these, right? You throw back some of these Christianese uh-huh. sayings, love the sinner, hate the sin. Well, you know what they say, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? Like you lose the meaning and the value to it and it becomes sort of some sort of incantation. And so if you're on that side of Christianity and evangelicalism, that's like, oh, well, you know, witchcraft and demonic possession, things like that. Uh, this should raise some red flags for you. Um, I'm personally not in that spot, so I don't think about it that way, but I always like to just kind of get that little jab in every once in a while. Poke the mystics. That's right. You also said jab, which another word that has a different connotation in today's world. (laughs) All right. So if you're new with us, the way we do this, kind of like we said in the intro, we, we talk about a topic, we find the good, we unlearn the bad, and then we figure out where we heck, where the heck we go from here. And so that's what we're going to do on the show today. We're going to look at what we got right before we even get into unlearning and talking bad about this idea. What was the good intention underlying that bad approach? Eric, what would you say that good intention would be? Yeah, I think this goes back to this is this is a a knowledge and wisdom conversation which we've had before, which, you know, friends of the show, you know, that's knowing knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that <laughs> you don't put tomatoes in a fruit salad. Right. So it's still technically, funny. technically it's correct. You know what I mean? Like imagine if I showed up to your house, Jonathan, and I said, and I said, Hey, I brought a fruit salad and it's, it's got like tomatoes in it with, with pineapple and with, you know, apples and all that kind of stuff. You'd be like, that's disgusting. about like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a fruit. It's a fruit salad. Technically I'm correct. So technically the statement is correct. You are supposed to love people. You are supposed to love people. We are all sinners and you're supposed to hate sin. So technically it's correct, right? E- yes. In ways we are supposed to love others. Uh-huh. John 13, Romans 13, Matthew five. Uh-huh. Yep. We are supposed to hate sin. Yes. Romans 12, Psalm 97, Proverbs 8, even Jude 22 and 23, where it says, and you and this is where a lot of people go for the hate the sin portion of it, mm-hmm. where it says, and you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment, show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that can't contaminate their lives. We see that Jesus hung out with sinners, right? Jesus, friend of sinners. If you grew up in church like that's you probably sang that song. You have that saying. He he was ridiculed by, by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day because he hung out with the people that they would consider like sinners. So it was obvious that he loved them and he spent much of his ministry time, his recorded ministry time with the people who society considered to be sinful and sinners. And there's probably a red flag on it. Well, hey, that Jude passage said hating the sins that contaminate their lives. I would argue, and I, I think I'm right on this, that if you look at the if context, not, just say it confidently, and people will go. With it. <laughs> That's the type of stuff we're unlearning. Yeah. But in the context of the book of Jude, who that letter was written to, the other context around this verse, my argument would be that hating the sins that contaminate their lives is about other believers who are, whose faith is wavering. If you look at verse 22 there, 
I would say that that is talking about other believers, not sinners. And that is semantics, but it's important. Very important. So yes, there is a biblical idea of hating sin. Yes, there is a biblical idea of loving others. But when we say love the sin or hate the sin, we're, we're conflating two ideas into one that shouldn't be combined into one. And I, I would say this is another good intention. Um, and maybe people don't naturally bring this out, but you and I talk about a lot on this podcast about how things are not necessarily a dichotomy. There's not like a black and white on a lot of things. And we need to live in the gray area. We need to live mm-hmm. in the tension. We need to be okay with the yes and, and, and knowing that. And I think the statement, love the sinner, hate the sin, why it's so tough for people to, to do this right is because it does sit in this tension that if you do it correctly, which I would argue that only God is the one that can perfectly love people while hating the sin that contaminates their lives. We don't, humans don't have the, I would argue humans don't have the capacity Mm -hmm. to do that well. So, but that's a, that's something that's tension filled where we can say, Hey, I don't have the answers here. Uh, and I don't know for sure 100% how to treat this, but you are someone I'm called to love. And I love you at the same time. I know there's things that are contaminating your life that your, your life that I don't love. So in a way it's like, you know, uh, my mom passed a couple of years ago from cancer. Do I love my mother? Yes. Do I hate the cancer that was contaminating her life? Yes. Like on one side you can go, yes, perfect. On the other hand, we'll talk about this in a minute. It's like for people who don't understand the difference between sin being who they are and sin being something that's contaminating their life, it can it can because lead to of something. The fall. Yeah, because the it, it can lead to something bad, and so there is that tension of like, how do I sit here and love the person while also acknowledging that there's something in their life that's contaminating them. And so I think the last thing I'll say about the good intention is it should, if done right, gives you permission to love people, even Mm -hmm. though you may not love what they're doing or agree with what they're doing or agree with what they're doing. However, I don't think that we do that well in practice. Yeah. There's a quote that we're going to get to that in this next section, I think hits on that. Uh, But yeah, this is, the prime example of why we do this show. Yeah. There was a good intention behind love the sin or hate the sin. It was said over and over because it was motivated by love. It was motivated yes. by loving others. However, yes. there have been negative consequences to it. It has gone down a road that it shouldn't have. And that looking at it with time and perspective, like we do on this show, it went the way it only could because we're flawed human beings living in a sinful world, uh, post fall pre renewal. And so that's just kind of where it went. So Eric, let's move forward. What was the bad? What was bad about love the sin or hate the sin? Uh, I think so. First of all, the line put together, like we said, technically true, um, knowledge again, knowing that it's true wisdom, knowing that the application is not biblical. That's what I would say. The Bible does not say, you know, and therefore I say to you, love the sinner while hating their sin. Like the, the application that we are using it, or I would say the white evangelical church 
has misused it and construed it or what we were taught in youth group is not is not biblical. I mean, we could talk about where it's been adapted from and what that what that means, but um, our application of it is, is is not accurate to what we see in the text. Yeah, it's combining two ideas that I would still argue shouldn't be combined. And yeah. the phrase itself was was first coined by St. Augustine, where he wrote to a group of nuns encouraging them to have, quote, love for mankind and hatred of sin. So that's where it comes from. It comes more from church history and a letter than it does from the actual Bible, which I'm going to get in trouble here. It's funny that we will take letters like that and put them to the level of scripture while at the same time we take letters written by founding fathers and say they don't mean as much when it comes to the separation of church and state Ah. but that's a conversation for a previous season and possibly a future season so we won't get into that today because on the other hand we do the same exact thing and we pick and choose what extra biblical or extra constitutional, I guess you'd call it, what extra constitutional letters that we want. Because it's like, oh, see, the Federalist Papers say this and that, and we like that. But the letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote, you know, oh, the Treaty of Tripoli wrote, we don't like that. Like, we'll take all of those things and say, let's apply this, even though it's extra biblical, it's extra constitutional. And let's Guys, let's we're trying to unlearn the politics season and it's not working. It's seeping so trans- in. But transition that out. What do we right. do in no, today's life? It's point. like St. Augustine, but also it's like, well, my pastor said this. Yeah. Uh, okay. But the sermon that you heard may be an embellishment of a story from the Bible that is, mm-hmm. is application in a, you know, example in one way that's not to be applied universally as a biblical truth. Or Luther said this and other church father or influential person said this and they, right. they might contradict each other, but we go on the interpretation of the guy that we agree with the most. Yep. So exactly. we have to be careful. If, if we are looking back at scripture, the Bible never explicitly says love the sin or hate the sin. So, so right. just know that. The other hand of that is, you know, on the hate the sin part, this is, this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier is the issue is, we inside, we have, you know, we have a marketing term called the curse of knowledge. And as, as most Christians understand, like you are not your sin, but outsiders don't understand that. And so when they assume the thing that we consider sin, they assume that's what defines them. And so, you know, we'll say like uh, LGBTQ. It's like if you say, uh, be, uh, you know, homosexual, uh, a homosexual relationship is a, is a sin. Like if that's you as a Christian that says that, you are you are saying what they consider to be something that defines them. They are a that's part their of, identity. That's the part of their identity. And so it's like uh, when you say love the sin or hate the sin, now you're mixing in with all these things that maybe you don't actually mean. Some I would argue that a lot of Christians actually mean that, but you know it's hard for people on the outside, quote unquote, to understand that whatever you are considering sin doesn't define them as a person. They are thinking, how can you love me, but also hate me at the same time? And that's, that's it. And when we look at what Jesus said, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He also says to the, to, you know, the woman caught in adultery and and other, other sinners, he's like, Hey, who here condemns you? Well, no one, well, neither do I. And this is like, 
go and sin no more. He doesn't say go and sin no more because I freaking hate sin. And you need to look at that sin that you have and hate it with all your heart. You know, he doesn't go into that as much as what uh, Christians today would. I actually saw a TikTok the other day, evangelical pastor was talking about, uh, I saw a little boy and he had his fingernails painted and I was so mad. I want to cut off his fingers. And I'm like, whoa, bro, that's going beyond hating the sin that contaminates his life, which I would argue painting your fingernails is not a sin, but going into like hatred that consumes you and you end up sinning yourself. And that's not what Jesus said at all. Jesus said to love others, period. That's it. Like period. love them, love them as yourself. End of statement. And the what went right section, I mentioned how in Romans 13, we're called to love others. And Paul writes, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. Two verses later, he writes, love does no harm to a neighbor. And I would argue that actively choosing to hate a part of someone causes them harm. Yep. We cannot hate the sin and that not be harmful. The way that plays out, in theory, it makes sense. In theory, hating the sin. Okay, I get the theory there, but in practicality, you cannot hate something, detest something, and not treat it poorly. And if that I, is someone who, if that is a part of someone, you're mm-hmm. if you're hating their sin, you're going to treat them poorly, which will cause them harm. And we're told love does no harm to a neighbor. And I would say this is not a perfect analogy, obviously, but we talked about the same thing on like someone with cancer. And let's just assume, you know, and this is not a good, not a perfect analogy. Let's assume the cancer is that sin. Even something like chemotherapy, which is our rudimentary use of trying to fight this thing. God doesn't use chemotherapy, right? But we would we would go, okay, let, let we're gonna ra- we're gonna radiate your sin and do that. That ends up killing healthy cells as well, and it ends up destroying pieces of that person's body. And so when you say, I'm going to love you, but I'm gonna hate your sin, because we're not perfect, because we're not God, we can't do that well without collateral damage and damaging healthy cells too. How many times has your relationship with somebody else been damaged? Because you've decided I want to hate the sin. And then you go and pat yourself on the back because you're like, well, I'm just, you know, there's nothing loving about allowing someone to consider continuing their sin. Yeah. You know what? Butthole. There's also nothing loving about you treating them inappropriately and allowing your hatred, you know, to destroy healthy parts of your relationship. That was the perfect use of the word butthole. I'm proud of you for that one. (laughs) I had to censor that, you know? Yeah, we've determined not to have that explicit mark on here, unless we're talking about Christian nationalism. That's right. That was the one time. Strangely enough, it was uh, Mahatma Gandhi who has one of the better rebuttals to the idea of love the sin or hate the sin. And I'm pulling this from an article on USA Today, and it was written by a guy named Jonathan Merritt. For our conservative listeners, this quote contains no words from Jonathan Merritt. It's only an article he wrote. I just wanted to give him credit for the, for the article. These are not his words. You don't have to immediately shut down. These are the yep. words of Gandhi. He said, hate the sin and not the sender is a precept, which though easy enough to understand 
is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads into the world. And then he went on to say it was impossible to see someone first as a sinner and to focus on hating their sin without developing some level of disdain for them. It's impossible to have that hate without it, without it causing harm. Isn't that interesting that you've probably seen this growing up, the sermon illustration of sin, where you've got like the glass of water and then the pastor says, what if I just dropped a little bit of poison in here? Like, it's the same concept. You know what I mean? You're like, you cannot separate the poison from the water or the red food coloring or, you know, I use the- uh, Purity culture. Oh yeah, of of like the (laughs) peeing section and non-peeing section of the pool. You can't separate it because it's all together- and in so my context, the smoking the, section and the non-smoking section in, in yeah, smoking rural section, North Carolina, my goodness. Section. And I remember there was a, you know, I, I stitched a TikToker earlier who, you know, I think she identified as a member of the LGBTQ community. And she said, now imagine if we, you know, she basically put it the other way. It's like, you know what, Jonathan, I love you, but that Christianity, ah, I just don't, I don't get, you know, I'm like, what if we played it out where it was love, you know, love the Christian, but not the Christianity. For a lot of our our Bible Belt, you know, cradle to the grave Christians, you'd get really offended if somebody said that. And in fact, based on what DC Talk told you, you'd stand up and you'd, you know, have a gun to your head and the shooter would kill you because you'd be like, I'm never giving this up. It's such a part of me that I would die for my faith. It's like, so then you naturally understand that this thing doesn't play out in practice where you can't separate out loving one part of somebody while actively hating the other. Pastor and biblical scholar Adam Hamilton writes in his book, Half Truths. He says, I think Jesus knew that if he commanded his disciples to love the sinner, they would begin looking at other people more as sinners than neighbors. And that inevitably would lead to judgment. If I love you more as a sinner than as my neighbor, then I am bound to focus more on your sin. I will start looking for all the things that are wrong with you. And perhaps without intending it, I will begin thinking about our relationship like this. You are a sinner, but I graciously choose to love you anyway. It's, that sounds a little puffed up, self-righteous, and even prideful to you than you have perceived accurately. And we could probably take this entire episode and boil it down to that quote. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm like, for those of you that don't watch us on YouTube, which by the way, we're on YouTube if you want to watch us. I'm like actively giving praise hands during that because it's like, please, yes, Lord Jesus, this is exactly it. It When you call someone sinners, again, that curse of knowledge, that insider information, Christians understand the sinner piece. And I've even had people interact where they're like, yeah, well, we're all sinners and we fall short of the, the glory of God and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but outsiders don't understand that dynamic. And I would even argue that using those, that language is, is incredibly, it's unhealthy. And it also sets up this weird self-righteous prideful, you know, self, ah, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. Jonathan. Not Just good. like, like he wrote, it's, it's puffed up self-righteous and prideful. The, yep. the, in practice, the idea of love the sin or hate the sin is, puffed up, self-righteous, and even prideful. Yep. So where do we go from here? How do we take the good that we said? The Bible does say to love others. It does say to hate sin. How do we take that and use it to move us forward? Okay. So we talked about a little bit before about, you know, one of the good things was it should give you permission to love. 
it should give you permission to love people that you don't agree with or that you don't agree with what they're doing. Instead, many, especially white evangelicals, have taken this as a permission to hate others because instead of focusing on the love part, they focus on the hate part. Yeah, 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 I love the sinner, blah, 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 hate the sin. Like that's the part they would emphasize. But in reality, the way that we need to move forward is like literally look at what Jesus said was his new commandment to his disciples. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, as I've loved you despite your faults, as I have loved you, you know, it fully, you must love one another. So you're saying Jesus didn't tell us to love one another, but hate the sinful parts of each other. Yeah. There was, like we add that part in. Oh, well, of course Jesus meant, but hate the sinful part. He didn't, he never said that. He, he tells us to love one another as he loves them or as yeah. he loves us. And so that's gotta be the, the leading idea. And I know some of you are sitting there like, well, what about holding each other accountable? Where does that play into this? And I think, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you have that you're asking that with the best of intentions and not to judge others and not to be self-righteous or prideful or anything like that. So if that's you, if you're asking that question honestly and with good intentions, let's look at scripture. First Corinthians 5:12, Paul writes, What business business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So where we have to start is that if a person is not a believer, we have no business placing any judgment on them, period. We are to love them the way Jesus loves them. What business is it of ours to judge those outside the church? Yep. So that's where we have to start. And for those of us who are believers, I think we can put a pretty solid systematic view on this from teachings in the New Testament. Galatians 6 says, if anyone is, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Ephesians 4 says to put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And Hebrews 3 says, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So I think this shows us that our posture towards other believers who sin should not be hating the sin, but rather one of restoration and encouragement. Even the more harsh verse, like Luke 17, 3, where it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. It doesn't say anything about hating the sin. It says to call them on what he's doing and then forgive him if he repents. And I would say something, you know, uh, you've got the scriptural backing. Let's look at the internal logic of the line that we're using. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Okay. I cannot take action on hating that sin within you, Jonathan, until I have first guaranteed that I love you. And I think that's where we get it wrong, because especially when you think of the big clobber passages and the big sin issues that Christians want to go after, you know, the 4-H club of homosexuality, Hollywood, Harry Potter, and uh, Halloween, right? Like all of those things that are the big trigger H's of this is what are the big sins. It's like, can you say that the person that you are 
carrying your sign or you're, you're shouting through the bullhorn against, can you look at them and say that you've ever actually loved someone that has quote unquote that sin or specifically that person? Because if you lead with hate the sin, as opposed to leading with love the sinner, you're not even following the internal logic of your extra biblical statement. I am a giant believer in the idea that we have to earn the right to be heard. Yep. We have to earn the right to speak into someone's sin issue. Just like those verses were saying first, we have to love people well first, build a relationship with them, and then we have the right to speak into them. We have to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive each other just as Christ forgave us, and then we can do that. We have to see to it that none of us has a sinful, unbelieving heart. So me personally, I have to make sure that I do not have a sinful, unbelieving heart before I even begin to call out the sin in someone else. The speck, in, the plank in my eye before the speck in yours. There are all these things. And the issue becomes in the fundamentalist, in the evangelical, in the behavior modification crowd, what we are talking about gets positioned as liberal hippie Christianity. Yep. Because, or worse, in today's world, when we're leading with love, people like to call that progressive Christianity. There are issues within progressive Christianity. I'm not going to deny that. Yep. Different topic, different day. But the idea of leading with love and not calling out sin unless you have a relationship, have worked on your own sin issues and love the person first, legit love them. That is not progressive Christianity. That is not leading, leaving the Bible. I've just laid out the systematic biblical case for it. So for those of you who are hearing this, who agree with it, but in the back of your mind, you hear that old Baptist boomer saying something and like, saying what you're thinking and feeling is wrong because you're wanting to lead with love. They were wrong. And what I want you to hear today is if you are living your life, leading with showing others the love of Jesus, the way he loved you. Good job. Mm -hmm. You're doing it right. We can figure out the rest later. We can get into the details of that in a different conversation. But if we talk about how to, how to move forward, instead of love the sin or hate the sin, I want you to do what my kids' ministry tells my kids to do every single week. The same thing that I pray for my kids every single day in the car drop-off line. Help me love my friends the way you love them first. Yeah. Love others the way Jesus loved them. It's that simple. That's the essence of how we're supposed to treat others. If we can do that, the rest falls into place. Yeah, I agree. And I, I saw a pastor on uh, Twitter. He tweeted something similar to this, but it's like, I think I've come to a point in my life, in my deconstruction, reconstruction, ex-evangelical, whatever you want to call it, where I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what's 100% right theologically about everything. And I don't think anybody can. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. What I do know is that 
uh, if I died today and I'm standing before Jesus and I said, Hey, I'm not sure that I got the theology of how I'm supposed to treat other people's sin. Correct. But I am sure that I got the theology of loving other people. Correct. I think Jesus would be more than okay with that. So if I'm going to go, say, well done. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Hey, repentance part salvation. I'm good. As far as how I treat other people, I wasn't really clear on what you wanted me to do with their sin, but I was clear on how you wanted me to love them. I think when you're sitting there, just like the mental picture that you painted of that, you know, old Baptist boomer that's telling you you're wrong. I I feel like that moment with Jesus in heaven or, you know, wherever you go in the intermediate to, to determine whatever <laughs> that, that moment with Jesus after you die, you're going to want to say, I got the loving part right. But if you said, hey, Jesus, I was hating all that sin and other people. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, that may be the kind of Jesus that that you want to high five you and go, yeah, hell yeah, let's take it. Yeah. All right, fist bump, Heaven, way yeah. to go, way to hate all the, that sin. But that's not the Jesus that I see. And honestly, that's not the Jesus that I would want to follow and give my life for. And the other thing is, Hating someone's sin is never going to draw them to Jesus. Yep. Loving them the way that Jesus loved them and loves them is going to draw them to him. And then here's where it gets tricky. And here's why so many conservative evangelical and or fundamentalist Christians have an issue with this. Because then we have to trust the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. Right. And the Holy Spirit is spooky and we don't understand it. And it is only through the Holy Spirit that someone comes to Jesus. Like whether or not you are full-blown Calvinistic reformed or you're Arminian or whatever, it we agree mostly that it's the Holy Spirit who draws us to God. Like that's just the way it works. And our job is not to save people. Our job is to love them so that they see Jesus through us so that they are then seeing what Jesus wants them to see. And the Holy spirit can begin doing the work to pull them to him. We should not be showing them hatred by any means. If we are even walking towards the line of hatred, Turn your butt around and run the opposite way because that's not what we're called to. You cannot hate someone and love them at the same time. Love people, worry about your own sin. And if you have a relationship with them and you have the opportunity to lovingly encourage someone, then you can bring it up. At no point should we be hating the sin in other people. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's it for this week. Next week, we have a fun one for you. Eric, did you read the Left Behind books? I did not, but I did play the video game. There's a video game? Which was really weird. Yeah, because you actually like kind of kill people in the video game, uh, which is odd. So I'm familiar with the concept. So I gobbled the books up, at least the first Mm -hmm. few. Once they cast Kirk Cameron in the movie, that kind of ruined it for me. Yeah. But we got an incredible student center and hockey rink at Liberty thanks to the money that 
Tim LaHaye made on those. So uh, thanks, Left Behind. That was fun. Way to go. Yeah. So next week, we're talking about end times theology, how that A Thief in the Night movie from 1972 terrifies me. My sister still has nightmares about that and how all of that is impacting how we view the world today. And if you want to preview that, you know, if you want to study up on some of that stuff, we did an episode on fear-based theology. That'll give you a good primer to get ready for uh, some of this end time stuff. That was back in season one uh, where we did, um, it was called Stop, Drop, and Roll, Don't Work in Hell. So go check that out. For now, though, subscribe to the show, rate the show, and review it wherever you get podcasts. You can listen on YouTube as well. Share this with a friend if you found it interesting. If you have feedback or questions, you can get in touch with us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. We also have t-shirts and merch over there at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Share a story with us. You can do that straight from the website now. Just click a button, record your story, and that'll get sent to us if you have a great youth group story. If you want to follow us on social, Eric is at ericw712 on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Corona on them as well. As always, thanks for making us a part of your day, and we'll talk to you again next week. See you. Bad, I ain't making high, 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 high school Cause my best days will be